and we're live. Welcome back to another episode of the, I almost said sci-fi shenanigans, but that podcast has been dead for two <laughs> years now, for the Blasters and Blades podcast. And this is why we don't pre-record that intro, because these mistakes make it fun. It adds character. That's what they always say. Rub some dirt on it, right? So, uh, hey, are you crazy? Infinite. What's that? Oh, no. Nothing don't fun. do that. That's rude. I heard you. I'm going to get you later. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we're going to let our esteemed guest, Miss A.J. Tillock, introduce herself to you, dear listener, dear viewer. So A.J., can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yes. Um I am AJ Tillock, and I worked for 18 years, 18 years as a barista for a global coffee company, and I was inspired while working there to start writing a series called Grinding Reality. That is a, is a good way to get started. Uh, I, I too worked for uh, the company that shall not be named and, and, and earned the black apron while I was there. So oh, I, I'm with you. Uh, that's how I paid for grad school. Yeah, you're not alone. So, all right. So the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. So I know Seska's going to have her own story and knowing Seska is probably going to involve booze in a bar. And if you're listening, dear uh, alcohol companies, we'll take your sponsorship. We're going to drink your stuff anyway, so we might as well get paid. But I actually met AJ. Um, we met at the Illuminati's Classified Insiders Club meeting. It's only for the cool kids. We we're not actually supposed to talk about that meeting, but they'll never catch us. So we're probably okay, right? Yeah, it'll be okay. So what about you, Doc? What bar did you meet her at? Actually, I met her through um, an internet, Mel Todd, who we've had on the show, posted about how much she enjoyed coming on and AJ reached out and said, Hey, look, would you got, and I went, Oh, you have a coffee themed series. Of course, because JR is a coffee obsessed person. And so that's how we ended up here. Not everything. Has Wait, you say that like it's about a the bar, thing. JR. No, but with you, what? mostly it does. And you say coffee obsessed, like that's a bad thing. No. I prefer to call I mean, it enthusiastic. Sure. You know, I seem to recall an episode or two where you started talking about the beans and how long they were roasted, and I just kind of glazed over. I mean, that it matters, Doc. You know what was interesting? It was the closest to science sounding you ever sounded. Oh, hush your mouth. Science. Psst. That's hand-waving them to you, missus. Nope. Uh, right. so, now on to the religion questions. How how do you feel about pick one of these three? The Flight of the Navigator, The Last Starfighter, or Robocop? Robocop. Okay, awesome. I love that. You Robocop. have three seconds to comply. So you know what? Sometimes that's how I parent. Three I'd seconds to comply and I shoot them with the nerf gun if they don't. I'll buy that for a buck. I like it. Hey, you know what? Parenting by Nerf is really therapeutic. <laughs> and if you get those references, leave a comment when we share this on the Facebook page where all the shenanigans happen and, and we can all laugh together. Or laugh at Doc. Both are acceptable. <laughs> you know what, JR? It's okay. You just need somebody else to laugh at, at occasionally. Because otherwise, you're the bunt of all the jokes. So, now on to the fantasy section. Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, or the Wheel of Time? Lord of the Rings. It's a classic. You can't, it's hard to top Lord of the Rings, to be honest. Well, I'm actually picking the ones that I'm familiar with. <laughs> That's okay because they're really Hallmark classics. Um, okay, maybe not Hallmark classics, but they are classics. Um, here, you know, we love the fantasy. We love the science. Did you have a first love of sci-fi or fantasy? I can't honestly say that I did, even though what I ended up writing falls into the fantasy category. My husband reads or did read 
a lot of science fiction. And he actually recommended two books, science fiction books, that he thought I would enjoy knowing that I'm not really a sci-fi fan. Mm-hmm. Ender's Game was one. And Old Man's War was the other. Good choices. And I read them both, and I did enjoy them both. Orson Scott Card and John Scalzi, they are good, solid reads. Yeah. Yeah. And then more recently, and I'm not sure if this falls into fantasy or or science fiction, um, a bunch of the people in my local writers group, which I had, um, insisted that I had to see Dune. So we all went to Dune together. That is awesome. I had no familiarity with it at all prior to seeing the movie just that just came out a couple months ago. That's my full exposure to sci-fi and fantasy before I started writing it. So did you like Dune? I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really beautifully done. So So what what were you reading when you weren't reading sci-fi and fantasy? I'm told there are other books out there, but I don't know that's true or not. I I did. I shouldn't have said that either because I did read um, in high school. My brother had the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, the whole, um, all of the books. And I did read those then. So I, I did, I did have knowledge of that, but mostly when I was younger, I used to read a lot of romance novels. Um, That's what I kind of, when I was in my early twenties, I got big time into reading romance novels. I don't read them as much anymore, but, and I'm more into mystery thriller suspense, like psychological suspense stuff now. Okay. So what was your first memory memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it reading the uh, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings from your brother? Was it a show on television? Any games that you might have played? Oh, my gosh. I don't really, I, I guess probably the Lord of the Rings would have been one of the first things that I read that was, if that's considered in that genre. Oh, yeah. The Lord of the Rings is squarely in the fantasy. And, okay. and there was a, there's, there was a show not too long ago, which I think was called forever. It wasn't on for very long, but um, I think it was called forever uh, where the guy had lived. He was immortal and he, he um, was in New York. Oh, I remember and, the show. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, forever may be the right name, uh, but I do remember it. Um, J- Judd Hirsch was, was the owned the antique store yeah i don't know if that's fantasy or what but i really enjoyed that kind of stuff i think it was really more of a fantasy mystery series that has elements of fantasy in it maybe yeah it well i mean it's very urban fantasy which is like modern setting right there's some kind of thing that often Sometimes it's not explained. Sometimes they point blank tell you it's magic. So. Right. right. Okay. Um, so what is it about the speculative fiction umbrella genre that you love so much that has you now writing stories in it? I think it's it's not because I I don't even read that much of it. I'm not even that familiar with it. See, imposter syndrome rears its ugly head. So I can't even speak to that. It just happens to be where the books that I write fall. And when I first got the idea and when I first finished them and published, I even published them not even knowing like what genre are they where am i supposed to put them how am i going to market them i still struggle with that because they're so out there and so unlike anything that i was familiar with that i really i really had a problem trying to figure out where they belong 
Okay, that's that's fair. So then, how did your? Then I don't know if you have an answer for this one, but normally we'd ask how your love of the genre transitioned into your writing. And so let's let's ask this instead. How did you determine that these were the stories you were going to write if you don't if you weren't already fanatical about the space of speculative fiction? That's an excellent question. And it really just stems from going back to when I was working. I had been working as a barista for about five years. And I I remember talking to one of my coworkers one evening. And saying, you know, there's got to be a way to make money off this gig, you know, because I wasn't I was working for just barely above minimum wage at the time. And I thought, you know, maybe I could write about it. And I kept trying to come up with an idea like I could turn this apron into a cape, you know, and and my character could become a superhero. And I just kept going. What if what if what if what if and ended up writing what turned out to be speculative fiction fantasy okay so there's a this is a little known industry secret if you if you deal with uh, baristas and you don't make your own coffee be nice to them or they'll switch you to decaf and not tell you because that's what i used to do when i worked <laughs> a company that shall not be named rude customers got decaf every time Oh boy, you're gonna have to go on TikTok and tell uh, your little known secrets of of uh, baristas. I never got into the whole TikTok thing. I, <laughs> I'm not huge on social media anyway. Uh, I'm old enough. I remember when Tom was our first friend over there on MySpace. Oh my gosh, yes, MySpace. I remember that. So uh, I don't really, I don't, I don't know. I just don't mess with the, all the new ones. Cause quite frankly, by the time a new one pops up and you figure out enough time to learn it, it dies and something else takes its place. And that's true enough time for that. Very true. So, all right, doc, the next question is yours that's or I'll like, ramble. I know I'm sitting here and I'm going, that's kind of like saying, I'm not going to learn it. Cause I'm just going to forget it. Um, <laughs> well, that's also true. I know that's your head trauma talking. So <laughs> Um, were there any formidable moments that really shaped who you are as a storyteller? Wow. Can you say that again? What was the question? So for many authors, real life experiences influence the stories that you guys tell. Uh, were there any specific moments that were formidable and shaped you as a storyteller? I can't really think of a moment, but I always liked, I always liked English, English class. I always liked writing. And my dad was one of those people who always got other people's stories. And then he could turn around and tell you their whole story, like his co-workers or a neighbor or somebody would tell him something. And he he could make even like something mundane or he'd pull out something really unusual from that person and be able to tell you the story so well that you would just get so caught up in it. And I think that really probably contributed to me. Maybe I inher- it's an inherited thing that I just wanted to tell stories. I I think that you had a great example growing up. So if you sure. want to let out her inner part, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so transitioning kind of into some of the fan stuff, have you had anybody ask for your autograph yet? I have, yes. It happens occasionally. I don't do like a lot of book signings and stuff, but when I do, there are always people that for some reason, I guess I don't really understand the value of signing a book, but people love it. I think it kind of is, I can say as a fan, one of the things is it's nice and it's neat because it makes it special and unique from all the other books. It's no longer one that you just go and pick up from Barnes and Noble, you have a memory and a connection because sometimes fans feel a lot of connection to the author because they're literally hearing your words in their head, you know, and there's a 
certain psychology, right? But we all grew up, hopefully, with our parents reading us bedtime stories. So you've they've heard you give them a story. And it's a very powerful thing for some fans. And I've seen some fans cry when getting a book signed by an author, just because it's a human contact that makes it real, I guess. That's true. And I guess I, I outgrew it because I had to downsize a few years ago and I had to get rid of an awful lot of my print versions of books, mm -hmm. some of which were signed. So I, I must have made it less important to myself. Well, sometimes it, for some people, it's not as big a deal. And that's okay. Yeah. So, like we all have things that carry more weight for us than for others. True. So, mm -hmm. um, what would you say is your funniest fan interaction since you've started writing? Oh, wow. You know, I, um, I currently live in a 55 and older uh, active, they call it an active lifestyle community even though the most activity you see is everybody driving around in golf carts, walking their dog. But um, um, one of the things when, when I, they have a craft, like an arts and crafts fair every year. And so the first year that I lived here, I um, rented a table and had my books there to sell. And um, it was known I let it be known that I actually lived in this community. And I remember somebody coming along and telling me that I didn't look old enough to live here. And I was like, well, I assure you that I am because I, I was over 55 at the time. She still bought a book though, even though I don't think she quite believed me, she probably would have liked to have seen my ID. That means you're aging beautifully. <laughs> Let's hope so. We'll, we'll take that as a compliment and just smile and nod. Smile away, <laughs> boy. Smile and wave. So this is the part where we talk about everything that you have written, Miss AJ Tillock. Um, so can you give us the Reader's Digest version of your body of work? Well, in the Grinding Reality series, I currently have two books out. The first one which is really the setup of the whole premise is called the forbidden bean. And the second one is called cool beans. And I have a third one that I am working on. I have about 30,000 words um, of that finished. I'm not sure when that's going to be released. And right now that is the totality of the grinding reality series. Okay. And you've written, um, Okay. So that's a, that's a start and it makes people finding your books very easy when you're, when you're still relatively new, there's not a billion books out there for them to search through. That's so true. we'll take that as a win. Um, and while that all sounds fascinating, you know, the list was very long, but today we're going to talk about just the forbidden bean, the beginning of the grinding reality series. See, I can be funny doc. Stop snickering. <laughs> hey. uh, so you've talked a little bit about the idea came to you while you were working at the, uh, the large mega coffee shop. But was there any one thing that sort of inspired the idea for this series? Or was it a, sort of a compilation of all the experiences? Um, I think, you know, now that I think back when I first was writing this, and this is in uh, Florida, and actually I was in Naples, Florida, if you know where that is. It's where I used to live. And in May, there is generally an outbreak of flies. And I remember flies buzzing around and occasionally one or two of them would get into the store. And you're probably familiar with that phrase. Did you ever want to be a fly on the wall? Mm -hmm. yes. Meaning, did you ever want to be on a fly on a wall so you could eavesdrop on a conversation or see what goes on behind closed doors in some situation? If these walls could talk. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, so... So, like I said, and I kept thinking, well, there's got to be a way to make some actual money off this gig. And I thought maybe I could do it with writing. And, you know, I end up writing in a genre I knew nothing about, and I still don't. But I sat down and I kept thinking, what if, what if, what if, and settled on what if she, she being my main character, T, 
found a bag of coffee beans in the storeroom labeled, do not open, do not use. But of course, she opens them and she finds these peaberry beans. Remember peaberries? With a sparkling coating, unlike anything she's seen before. And she picks one up and she tastes the coating, which is not a flavor that she can readily identify. So she puts the bean, one of the coffee beans in her mouth, and she's trying to figure out, like, what is this? Where did it come from? What is this taste? And her jerk of a manager pounds on the storeroom door and startles her, and she accidentally swallows the bean. And so then what happens is within 24 hours of swallowing that magic coffee bean, she transforms into something else, which the first transformation is she turns into a fly. Oh my goodness. Metamorphosis of you. But she takes, she takes her thinking rational part of her brain with her, but her human body is left to operate on autopilot. So when the transformation is over and she just kind of, you know, comes back into herself, she doesn't remember what she did or may have agreed to while she was gone, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that's, that's actually pretty awesome. So that's that's basically the premise. OK, that could get very interesting places or very dark, depending <laughs> So, all right. So, yeah. Wow. Now I want to read that. Is that out in audio? Because I listen to my books. No, it is not. I'm I'm so behind the times. So, uh, if you look at the screen, dear listener, it'll have been up the whole time. But if you take a moment to uh, observe the cover. Um, so, AJ, can you tell us um, how you came up with the the cover? Obviously, it's coffee beans, so that part's a given. But but how did you choose the layout for for the overall look of the cover? Well, the original cover for this book I had done by an, by an artist because, again, I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know anything. And she, I had this idea of doing like the, you know, the five pound bullets of coffee and then having uh, a hand like holding like the, the coffee bean and the fly was on it. So I kind of did that, but the co the cover that she came up with was really dark and it was really hard to see. So I just redid this cover um, just a couple years ago and the, the hand is actually my the hand of my best friend's daughter. And I was oh. trying to get across the, the magic of the coffee bean. So it's just kind of sitting in the palm of her hand and then that kind of that yellow mist is supposed to be like the sparkling, attractive magic that's coming out of it. That's where that came from. And that means that your daughter can put like modeling on her resume, your friend's daughter now. So that was, <laughs> yeah, that was awful exactly. nice of you. She's a hand model. And, and I can make money. You know, I didn't mean for my cover artist to use that actual hand. I mean, I didn't care if he did, but that's what he he did end up using the picture that I sent him as the hand. And then he did the rest of it around that. That's that's cool. All right. So this is the moment, dear listener, where we sh pause and we shamelessly shill for the man. A newly minted PhD, Noah Parker is thrilled to land a dream job at the hottest tech company in the American Southwest, genetically engineering new lines for their feature product, Living Breathing Dragons. Desperate to create the perfect family pet, Reptilian Corp hopes to put a dragon in every home. But with his newfound access to the company's resources, Noah has a secret goal. Modify the dragon's genetic code, bending them to another purpose entirely. Domesticating Dragons by Dan Kobold and BaneBooks.com. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. We were talking to Miss AJ Tillich about her book, The Forbidden Bean. So uh, the next question is yours, Doc. Please don't mess it up. So <laughs> what would your 30-second elevator pitch for this novel be? Okay, I've got it. After accidentally swallowing a magic coffee bean, coffee store manager T transforms into something else, taking her thinking rational self with her 
but leaving her human body behind to operate on autopilot. During her transformation, she learns disturbing information she is compelled to act on, which turns her into a sort of unwilling superhero. I like it. Nice. I like it. Thank so you. what do you think really kind of makes your series unique in uh, out of all the other series out there? I think it's the all of the elements that go into it, magic, shape-shifting, uh, a cast of characters that that try to help her or come to her rescue. She's really kind of um, inept in what she's attempting to do. It's kind of like, you know how Stephanie Plum, if you've ever read those or seen mm-hmm. the movie, and she's kind of a bumbling um, bounty hunter because it's not really, she doesn't really know what she's doing. She just kind of stumbles through it. Yeah. And so T is the same way because she's on the trail of these villains that she's discovered, but she doesn't really have any skill at it. And so she, she has uh, these guys around her that are trying to help her or come to her rescue. And the other part is that her relationship with her father and she hasn't seen since she was a toddler and we come to find out that not only is the, does he have a connection with the villains, but also that he works for Interpol. So oh, wow. magic, the cool thing with magic is you can do anything, go anywhere with the stories as the, the effects of the beans change. And as she finds out more about what these beans can do. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I like the the twist that you put in. So, Hold on. how much research did you have to do for the Interpol angle, or did you just sort of wing it? No, I researched. Well, I mean, I researched it because part of the uh, part of the premise of what he's involved in is human trafficking, and that's kind of a pet interest of mine anyway because it's just it's so prevalent. And so when I really started looking into that, I discovered um, that Interpol actually has uh, something called the Millennial, I think it's called the Millennium Project, where they are, they are tracking um, different factions of human traffickers. And so that's the part of Interpol that he's involved in. And, and his backstory is that his sister was human, tra- human, human trafficked by this same band. And so he's been kind of on their trail for a long time and had to go like kind of undercover um, for his work. And that's why he sort of has abandoned his family. Not willingly, but yeah. So, no, I mean, we're all veterans. On, well, I mean, yeah, JR and I are veterans, so we definitely can understand that sometimes it's the you have to make that choice between family and duty, and right. it's a hard choice. Right. And at the time, he, they, his family would have been endangered if he had stayed. Yeah. So. So yeah. which tropes do you think forbidden being really either hits best or that you just kind of took and tortured? Um, comic fantasy, magic, I guess, and really good versus evil because when she finds what's really going on, um, she's relentless that she's, she doesn't want to see this, what's going on in her community. And, and, and you find out how invasive and pervasive it is and how many little tentacles this whole band has. And she's just determined to do what she can to, to get rid of them. So this is where JR normally likes to ask about, have me ask about subgenres, but you said you don't read this, this, the genre very much. 
uh, and which totally makes sense because sometimes you accidentally borrow things without realizing it. So I've known a lot of authors who they don't read the genre they write. Um, but would you say that this really kind of fits also in the um, crime fighting, like the fantasy crime fighting and superhero genres a little bit? Superhero is what I thought. I didn't know there was a crime fighting fantasy, but I looked at, I looked up at, you know, just as some background and low fantasy and magic, Magic in the real world. Yeah, it's definitely urban fantasy, and it's, it sounds like a lot of fun. I totally think it is. JR and I will be reading it. <laughs> well, if I ever put it out on audio, he will. So. <laughs> well, true, true. He, can, he can actually read with words. He just yeah, goes he much slower. <laughs> yes, yes, this I is know. true. I know. All a right. lot of people read audio. Aside from the fact that the main character is a barista, what else can you tell us about her? What makes her unique in the crowded field of literature? She's she's a misfit, and she she just never feel she's never really found her place in the world. And she has a past history of some mental health issues where she's required therapy, and so she fears being labeled crazy. She also has abandonment issues due to her absentee father. So what happens in the first book is he shows up after all these years. Now she's, you know, 20 something. And he shows up to warn her away from pursuing the group that she and this is really based on a true um, situation where we had a bunch of um, guys that used to come into our store, we, we dubbed them the espresso mafia, um, because they, they didn't speak English very well. They always had loads of cash with them, but they never seemed to work and they would sit outside and they would smoke and they would drink espresso and whatever they, sometimes they would order something and we never made it right. So they definitely got decapped in that instance. <laughs> but but once her father shows up and even though he warns her away because he knows she doesn't know yet what she's getting herself involved in, but the fact that it drew her father toward her or to her after all this time is like that's her reason for never wanting to quit. You know, why would she quit doing it now so that he'll disappear again? If she keeps pursuing the villains then she she sees that as a way of keeping him in her life. But she also fears the consequences of anyone else knowing about the magic beans um, because she doesn't want them to think she's crazy, for one thing, and she doesn't want it to happen to them. But she discovers the beans are addictive. And if she doesn't consume one every seven days, there are some really unpleasant consequences. I mean, that's true of non-magical coffee beans, too. <laughs> it doesn't take seven days, though. No, and, and some would argue that they're all magical. All the beans are magical. Yeah, well, there's so, kind of a theme here, you see. Addictive, magical, coffee. Yeah, I, I noticed that, and I like it. And I like the, the name of the book, too. I don't know how you're going to top that for book three. Have you started thinking about names for that one? I have. I, it was going to be the killer killer beans, but I think it, I need to tone it down just a little bit. <clears throat> Might be lethal beans or deadly beans. I'm not sure. I actually, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you I got like that. an idea, tell me. No, I was just thinking, I, I, I worked at a coffee shop that was um, um, on, I, I did grad school at Villanova. And so it's set on an, it, the, the college campus is on an actual functioning monastery. So the coffee shop on campus was Holy Grounds. Spelled like coffee grounds. Oh, holy beans. So I, yeah, holy beans. You could do that if there's if there's the well, I wanted my original idea was that all the books were gonna have beans in the title, bean or beans. So holy beans. I like it. Uh, I like it. So were you there know, any be, I'll have to be, dedicate it to you though if I do that. Uh, I'll be happy with just the tip of the coffee cup. So but, were there any any secondary characters that were especially memorable to you? That you did uh, yes. in this book? Yes, actually. Well, she, her, her, one of her, her good friends across the hall is a sheriff's deputy. 
His name's Cody. And then um, there's another guy whose name is Lenny. And he is actually based off of a customer that I knew. And he was kind of an odd and artistic guy. And he traveled to the beat of his own drum. But Lenny's had a crush on T for a while. But she refused to go out with him until in one of her autopilot moments when she's not all there, she says yes to him. And of course, when he shows up at her door, she has no memory of saying that she would go on a date with him. And so even though she discourages his involvement in chasing after the bad guys, he becomes her kind of ardent side sidekick. Okay. So was it in, when you say T is it spelled T E A? It's, Spelled her name, her her mother and her father were actually um, ballroom dancers, professional dancers. And so her name is actually Tango, which she hates. And so that's why she goes by T, T-E-E. I was just thinking for a book about coffee, a, a character named T just seemed apropos. So <laughs> I didn't think of that. I was thinking more of the angle of, of uh, the her she has a sister named Samba who goes by Sammy. I mean, some kids deserve college funds when they're born, and other kids need therapy funds. And this sounds like the latter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you gotta you gotta have some issues, right? So, um, so what about bad guys? Are there any bad guys that the main character has to confront that you could tell us without giving away spoilers? Yes. Um. The bad guys are, <clears throat> like I said, they're actually based on a true experience of, of these, this group of people that we used to call the espresso mafia. That's what we called them. But they were, they were smokers. They, they would sit out on our outdoor cafe and it would just be like walking through an ashtray. They were rude. They were disrespectful to women. They spoke broken English. Always had wads of cash, but never seemed to work. Well, then I found out they were Albanians. Then I found out that there's an Albanian mafia here in the U.S., a branch, an arm of it here in the U.S. It's a real thing. And I made it so that um, this, this sect, this clan, they're very clannish and very loyal to each other. And very hard, hard people. And so those are the people that she comes to find out who are doing all kinds of bad things in her community, in her town. And that's who there's kind of an overriding arc, story arc that I plan to have through all of the books as she continues this kind of trying to infiltrate their organization and get the goods on them. Oh, okay. That does sound interesting. So um, doc, I'm just going to, we're just going to pay her to come read it to us since they don't have audiobooks. That'll work. right? <laughs> sure. Okay. Just as long as we got a, a game plan in order. All right. I mean, as long question. as she consents, cause that's important. <laughs> that's what they tell me. All right, doc. Next one's you. Okay. So speaking of your characters, because they definitely sound very much like fully formed characters, which I love. Um, if yours ever met you in a back alley and they knew how that you'd put them through all of this stuff, you know, the coffee bean addiction and, and becoming a, a reluctant superhero, how do you think that would play out for you? I think there would be some anger on T's part um, only because of the way it sort of wrecked her life. But also at the same time, I think she would be thankful because at the same time, it's kind of given her a purpose and a focus that she never had before. And mm -hmm. it's, given her something to really direct her energy at and to really be aware of what's going around, going on around her in her community. 
and given her something to take a stand against. So, um, you know, for many, in many universes, the universe is as much a character, the world, the world as the main characters. And um, can you give us a bit of like a hint of what we can expect in this expansive world? Is it just like our world or is it like, can you give us? It's, it is set in a community based on, like I said before, based on, I should say. Yeah, it is based on Naples, Florida. Okay. Uh, and Naples is uh, really, um, for the most part, it's a pretty upscale area of Florida. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's areas where um, retired, you know, sports superstars live and billionaires and, you know, people in industry and stuff. Um, so there are some really super wealthy areas there. And that's part of, that's also part of the story because, because that's kind of the, the haves versus the have nots, you know, and she's, she's one of the have nots, obviously she's just a working girl, but, but how it plays out in what's going on and how, how the, the, uh, the espresso mafia operates um, under the arm of that, that world, that the wealthy, like, like, for example, they run a catering service, but it's more than just a catering service. And it, and they end up in these high end homes and things are going on that you wouldn't think were going on. Okay. But there's also a lot of it is grounded in the experience of working in a coffee store and living in an apartment and, you know, what the, what the town is really like. So you mentioned that the, you have book one and two out, book three, you're 30,000 words into it. Is book three going to be the last? Is it going to be a trilogy or do you see this no. going on more? Oh, than I that? hope not because I feel like it's, I feel like it could go on indefinitely, which is one of the things that drew me to it, because in every book, my original idea was in every book, the entities that T transforms to would, would change. They would start off small, like in the first book, it's like insects. And in the second book, it's like, um, uh, amphibians, I guess you would say, like she turns into a, a Cuban tree frog and a gecko and a couple of other things. And then in the next book, I was thinking in the third book, actually, she turns into small furry creatures like a mouse or a hamster. Squirrels! <laughs> squirrels. You gonna be okay, Doc? Oh, did you say squirrel? Yes. Oh my God. Are you psychic? Yes. She turns into a squirrel. And, and the interesting thing that happens in the third book is when she, so she, her thinking rational part is let's say in the body of a squirrel. And it, did you ever think like, okay, like in Florida, everybody, a lot of people have lanai's, you know, yeah. in back porch. And there are trees maybe around them. Like that's how my house is. And if you were a squirrel sitting in a tree and people were sitting out on the lanai, that you could overhear everything that they're saying. If you were a squirrel that could understand it because you had a human brain inside of you. And so that's, that is actually one of the scenes. But the other thing that happens in the third book is that while she's a squirrel, and she's, she's overseeing like a party at her parents' house and she's there. She's there as the, the bimbo part of herself, I call it, because it's, she doesn't have all of her thinking rational self in her brain at the time, but she can see herself as part of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's yeah. kind of cool. So I mean, that's one of the things that happens in the third book. And I feel like the longer she takes, the longer she has to 
is addicted to these beans, then every time, you know, the, the effects of the beans will change the longer they're in her system. And there's also endless possibilities of what she could turn into and what she could overhear or learn in that other entity. But eventually she runs out of the coffee beans, right? Oh, gosh. Now you're scaring me. But it's a five-pound bullet of coffee beans, so it's going to be a while. Fair, <laughs> fair. I'll be dead before. But there's always a fear of what if she gets transferred to another store or... You know, what if something happened? What if somebody else discovers them? What if there are other people like her in other stores? You know, she doesn't, she has no way of knowing that she's the only one too. So I feel like, do you remember the show like Barney Miller where they had like the same little cast of characters, but then other people always were walking through? You know, so there were like always endless possibilities of what could happen in that police station, even though they had the same kind of premise going on. But everybody had all of the, the new people that came in had their own story. So it's kind of like that, like it's an endless possibility of what could happen. So uh, the, the math is roughly one pound of coffee is about 4,000 beans. So you're looking at my high school math, but you're looking at about 20,000 <laughs> beans of coffee before she runs out. I hope, I hope so. Or before so she, can't, she can't have access to it. Or if she can't get access earlier. But uh, yeah. so depending on how long she, uh, how many she takes a day, I mean, we, we got a couple of years. Before she exactly. crashes and burns. Well, she doesn't take it every day. She only takes it once a week. So, there you go. Twenty thousand weeks. I don't know how many years that is, but someone else can do that math. <laughs> I'll be dead so, before I get it off. Yeah. So, are the beans decaf? At least we didn't ask that, but we need to know. No, no, <laughs> no. They are not. I wouldn't do that to her. That, that was an important. That just got to have a kick to it, man. Yeah. That's right. So. We know that every literary universe has their own internally consistent rules of science, tech, and magic. So what sort of, you've covered this as basically modern world, so, so that covers the science and technology. But other than the beans themselves, what sort of magic can we expect in this world? Oh. Other than the beans? Yeah. That is the magic. Okay. To be other magic that happens. I don't know. Maybe other magic happens just based on what the outcome of the beans, like in her relationships and stuff. It's certainly having an effect on those, not in the way that you would have expected either. Okay. So. That could get interesting if, uh, with the body getting up to stuff, her her uh, her flesh uh, mech yeah. suit while she's while she's doing other things. I'm just yeah. picturing like that 51st date scenario when she wakes up suddenly and she's pregnant. Like, how the hell did this happen? <laughs> oh dear heavens! Oh my goodness! And what effect would the bean have on a baby? Ooh, oh! She'd have a companion for. Her. See, now you got to write like the side story about the. <laughs> The superhero fetus, whatever, that's running around. <laughs> uh, it doesn't sleep for the first six weeks of its life. Wait, then it's born addicted to coffee. I don't know. That could be bad or good, depending on your viewpoint. No, Doc, save me from myself. Off of one bean, okay? Might be addicted right, to magic. Go. Science has spoken. Science has spoken. <laughs> All right, Doc, next one's you. By the way, that would be over 500 years of coffee. 28,000 beans divided by 52 weeks meaning if she only took one, one a week, that would be about 500 plus, over 500 years of coffee. See, I told you the possibilities were endless. See? Listen to the <laughs> author. She's right. What? It was, um, was 20,000 beans, which means your math is off. It's 384.6. So 385. I said if I thought the number you gave was 28,000. No, it was 20,000. Well, I don't do 4,000 per pound times five, four times five is 20 Add the three zeros. See, I does the math, <laughs> but all I'm saying is she's going to be dead long before she runs out of coffee at that rate. Her grandkids could be, could be sw swigging these uh, beans unless they make her immortal. 
Do you think do she they? should bury them if she's if she knows she's going to die? Should she get rid of them so nobody else has to go through this? Ooh, that's a good question. Or do you open yeah, Pandora's box? I think box? actually probably give it to somebody else, like her sidekick, and be like, "Here, you can continue on my legacy." But if her if if her sidekick's there the whole time, then he's just as old as she is when she retires. Ooh, this is interesting. So what do you think, dear listener, the morality of this? Comment in the in the show notes, or show notes, comment on the Facebook group when we post this and tell us what you think. Weigh in. I, I say pass it along. Uh, we can all suffer together. That's. Are they going to extend her lifespan by taking these coffee beans? Oh. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. All right. The possibilities are endless, people. You heard it here first. See? <laughs> All right, Doc. I can go anywhere I want with this. You could. You could. There's Thanks. possibilities. Um, I'll make notes of your ideas. <laughs> as the you possibilities should, as are you endless. I'll dedicate another book to you. Oh, standing. So Sometimes Jair has good ideas. Since you, since you covered that there's really, like, the only deviation from the world, at least yet, is the coffee beans themselves. Let's Let's ask you this. If you could take those beans, would you? Knowing what I know now? Yes. Huh. Wow. Uh, you know, I probably would because I'm in my real life quite a bit older than T is. So I would only have to take them for, you know, maybe 20 years, 30 years. No, Unless it extended your life. 30, maybe, maybe 20. But I think it could be really interesting. You know, when you get to reach a certain age and life is just not really as exciting as it used to be and you don't do as much, you don't go out as much. This would give me, you know, you know, something new and interesting. All right. So yes, if you, I might if, learn about my 55 and older neighbors that I didn't know before. So if you had taken the beans, how would you abuse them? Would you like use it to spy on your neighbors or would you do something cooler, rob a bank? Although how a fly is going to carry money out of the <laughs> bank, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I would, you know, I would use them only for good. I would use them only for good. And That's but cool. I don't but see, she doesn't really control that. She doesn't control what she turns into or what situation she's in when she's something else. She's just like zapped out of her, you know, human existence. And she's in the body of something else. And she is somewhere else, wherever that, you know, mouse or that fly or butterfly or, you know, gecko happens to be, um, she she can't control that. Okay. So would you take the beanstalk? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I would too. In for a penny, out for a pound, right? Why not? <laughs> Does she get different results if she grinds them up and drinks them? She I don't know. She hasn't done that. Wait a minute. Let me write that down. Grinds them up and drinks them. <laughs> no, I uh, haven't. I hadn't. I hadn't, um, I hadn't considered that. So far, so, she's just so far she's intrigued by trying to figure out what that taste is that's on the beans, what this sparkly coating is, and so she's she puts it in her mouth and she's trying to, you know, it's very elusive, and then it's all gone, and then she's always kind of disappointed that she can't figure out what it is, what it tastes like. It's you know, she can't name it. And then she's like disappointed. She's like, no, she has to swallow it or unpleasant things will happen. So that's, that's why she just always swallows one. So the other option is you grind it up and instead of making a coffee cup with it, you put it under your lip like dip and you let the caffeine or the drugs go straight into your bloodstream. That oh, way. dude, rat coffee is horrible. I did yeah. that to stay awake when I was overseas, so I know it is horrible. But yeah. it was MRE coffee, and I don't know if Folgers even counts as coffee. Um, I'm a little Not bit of a coffee book, snob. I'm a little bit of a mind. coffee snob. But um, 
So yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. So do you have any fantastical creatures that are going to come into this universe? Do you think? Fantastical creatures? I don't think so. Unless she turns into a fantastical creature. Okay. That's fair. All right. So, Doc, did you have any other questions for her before we just go make ourselves a cup of coffee? <laughs> I'm going to go make coffee ice cream, eat coffee ice cream. I have a beautiful recipe for oh. homemade coffee ice cream. Oh. It has all the caffeine in it. And it's ice cream? And it's you have to share that recipe. Can you share that in the Facebook group, too, with our, our now hungry listeners? Yes, I, I can. Because I uh, one of the things that I learned early on is apparently most companies, when they make coffee ice cream, is coffee flavored ice cream. So there's no caffeine in it. Yes. I I actually use homemade espresso and uh, and I put that in, which means there's actually caffeine in so, my coffee ice cream. I, I, I like it. I like it. So back in the day, uh, when the COVID thing first started, you would do the the science hour and you'd like show people how to make uh, hand sanitizer and stuff. So now you should do the science hour where you're showing them like the secrets to chemistry, otherwise known as cooking. And you could give us the recipe for this this ice cream you speak of. But it's JR, coffee. I can't even get you to cook right. I mean, I'm trying. I'm getting better. So I didn't even <laughs> burn the toast this morning. I mean, come on. That's progress. Y yeah, you found the toaster. Yeah, you, you got to plug it in, apparently. Who knew? All right. So so clearly this uh, this interview is winding down. Was there anything we didn't ask you that you wanted to tell us before we moved on, AJ? Um, well, the the only thing I I guess this is probably you're going to include this when you when you post this, but that I. I write contemporary romance and women's fiction under Barbara Myers and that AJ Tillock is also under that umbrella, like in my website. So if you are looking for more information, that's where you find it. Okay. So all of her contact information will be in the show notes, her, her stuff as AJ and then her, her website for, uh, for Barbara Meyer. So if you're, if you're curious and you want to stalk her as you do, um, all of do. that will be, all of that will be in the show notes. Um, but before we let you go, Dear listener, we'd like to remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your part, people. Now, if you want to stalk us and why you would, I don't know. But if you did, you could find us on the Twitter at twitter.com uh, backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Where email is blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com we have a facebook group where all of the shenanigans happen which is facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash a blasters and blades podcast we share the episodes there we have funny conversations there we mock pineapple on pizza there all the cool things happen wait a minute aj wait. how do you how do you feel about pineapple on pizza um it's not my favorite Middle of the road answer, but I will take it. I have eaten it and I would eat it again if it was offered to me. All right. You're going backwards in this one now. You're doing good for a second. No, she's totally fine. She's a classy lady. You eat, you eat the dinner that you're offered. Uh, all right. All right. Our website where you can uh, you can find us is anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. You can also support us over there on our anchor.fm dash blaster backslash blasters dash and dash blades for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on. It operates much like a Patreon model, or you could support the show at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and I will keep my co-hosts Doc Seska and Nick Garber duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Never surrender. And that's right because they'll drink some coffee, perk back up and do it all over again. All right, Doc, <laughs> you can bring us home now. You know what? My brother made me an amazing coffee syrup made with real coffee it was amazing like a liqueur or like syrup for pancakes 
No, it was like a like the kind of syrup that you would use to make a cocktail with, but it was made with coffee. And it was See, so now good. I'm starting to wonder about the way you're abusing science to do these weird things with the sacred java. I, I don't know. That's tell it's us about getting more of the sacred caffeine, which is in the java and is not very water soluble, into my body. All right, all right. You're speaking my language now. We'll we'll let this pass. But <laughs> you understood what water soluble means? Almost. Just don't Almost. ask me to explain it. We're gonna pretend I do to go on. So you don't. Okay. So thank you for I do. thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber, J.R. Hanley, I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Plays podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Indulging our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, all things that go boom, and of course, making Jr. eat pineapple on pizza. Heretical one and two, Doc. Just in case, like we don't think you actually know what water soluble means. So why don't we tell you tell us so we know that you know. Water soluble means that it mixes in and becomes a solution, a complete solution. All right, you passed this test, but you know we we need yes. to try to get one. And now Jr. will have to eat 